Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 today, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and uh, we've been in a series of messages that we have called an appeal to heaven. We talked about what happens when we pray. We looked at a model for prayer that we called the ands, ifs, and buts of prayer. Last week, we, we looked at how we can hold on to the promises of God in the midst of the challenges of our lives, and we looked at some fighting words. And there's been kind of an overriding principle that we've looked at throughout this whole series as we've talked about the value and the importance of prayer, and it's this, that the prayer of God's people influences the destiny of a nation. That the prayer of God's people influences the destiny of a nation. And we've been in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We've kept coming back to this story to help us to look at these principles. And let's go to that passage now just so we can remember the background of the story. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at, at in Hazan Tamar, that is, and Gedi. So just to real quickly set the stage, we've talked about this before, but you have the nation of Judah, their king is Jehoshaphat, you have these three enemy nations that are coming against them. It's a bad situation. They're overpowered, they're outnumbered, they have to decide what are we gonna do, verse three. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. That, that first word kind of grips me there. When it says that he was alarmed, that he was so concerned that he was at the point of action. Maybe you've been at that place where something just grabs you and you say, I've got to do something about it. The reality is, if you look at the Hebrew there, that word alarmed is probably not strong enough. Other Bible translations use words like terrified, that he feared, that he was shaken. Here's what the English Standard Version says about this verse. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3 in the ESV says this. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. For some reason... Over the last several weeks, we keep coming back to this idea of fear. We saw it several weeks ago when we were still in the Gospels and looking at the life of Christ, and we talked about when they, when they uh, had the storm out on the sea, and we talked about fear. Last week, it came up again, and we see it here again today. The importance of understanding how do we deal with this idea of fear, because how you handle fear has a major impact on how you live your life. It's a big deal. And when life sends you something that you do not want, how you deal with it is important. Let me give you a for instance. Maybe you've done, you've probably never had this happen, but I've gone out to my mailbox, I open the mailbox, I pull out the mail, and I get looking, and there's a bill that I did not expect. Anyone have that happen? You know those moments? What do you do with that in that moment? What I want to do, my inner self wants to take that bill, rip it up, throw it in the garbage, and forget about it, right? That's the desire of my heart. What's the right thing to do? Write the check, hop online, pay the bill. That's the right thing to do. You have to decide in those moments what is the right thing to do. There's a wrong and a right response. And the same is true when we deal with fear, how we deal with it. Now, some of you may be in a place where you're dealing with some fear today. I understand that applies to your life. For others, and I'd say for all of us, we are in a nation right now and in a time 
when the response to so many things that we're facing right now is fear. So how do we respond in those times? It's critically important. Let me show you from scripture a couple of the ways that are inappropriate ways to respond to fear. Look at this, Numbers chapter 14, verse nine. The instructions that going out to Israel says this, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. Do you see this? He connects rebellion and fear in this. That sometimes our natural response when we are afraid is to push back, oftentimes to push back against God in a way of rebellion. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So he's saying, look, even in a fearful situation, don't push back against God. Don't give up because you don't think it's gonna work out. You need to put your trust in the Lord. What happens is if we let fear take over, we do things we regret later. Look at this, 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is about Saul, the first king of Israel. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, and Saul was in a tough situation here. He says, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Oftentimes, fear will put us in a place where we will do what we wish we hadn't done. Despair and disobedience are the wrong response to fear. Despair, I'm just gonna give up. Disobedience, I'm just gonna do what I want. Despair and disobedience are the wrong response to fear. They only complicate things and derail our lives from God's purpose. Let's go back to the bill. You look at the bill. You don't want to pay it. You rip it up. You throw it away. Is that going to go well for you? Not for that moment, but you're going to get the bill again, aren't you? And probably a few more times later, the bill's going to start costing you more. Eventually, someone may come and visit your house, depending on what the bill is, right? You have to deal with that. If you just let the fear bring you to a point of despair where you give up or disobedience where you do the wrong thing, what you will find in those times is that fear ends up being destructive in your life. So if that's the wrong response, what's the right response? Psalm 56 verse three. This is so clear, isn't it? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? When when my kids were little, they, they learned a little song that was just those words. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I don't know if they remember it, but their old dad does. And there's times when that little kid song still comes to my mind because trust is the right response to fear. If despair and disobedience are the wrong response, Trust is the right response to fear. And keeping that perspective is critical. That's what we've seen through this whole series. That's what we've seen in the model of Judah and Jehoshaphat here. That when these tough times come, even when the fearful times come, I will put my trust in you. This story would have ended very differently had they despaired or disobeyed. Instead, they trusted in him in the midst of fear. And God brings them victory. Which means we have to come to a point where we move this story up several thousand years. What about us? Do we ever face fearful times? For some of you, you're you're there right now. There's something that's right there in front of you in, in your life and you would say, yes, this is causing me anxiety, it's causing me uncertainty, maybe even to the point that you would just say, I'm terrified, shaken, or afraid. What do you do in those times? And if you're not facing it personally right now, 
I think there's a hint of that for us nationally right now, isn't there? We live in, let's just take Jehoshaphat's word from the NIV, we live in alarming times. If you doubt it, just look at the headlines this week. Just this week in the headline, terror. Bombings in New York and New Jersey. How do people respond? Do you, do you get the sense that there's, there's fear? There's this unknown about what we're facing and what do we do? We're so thankful for those who protect us, for our military, for our first responders, police, fire, EMT. And we have to have a strong response. Let me encourage you with this. In times, and are we living in alarming times? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. Okay, so we agree on that. What do we do? I'd start here. We, we must not give way to fear. We cannot allow fear to, to keep us from living the life that we're supposed to live. We cannot allow evil to win the day. But there's a dangerous response to this. On, on the one hand, we, we have to have a strong response of both courage and sometimes even action. But I would also encourage you that we have to be careful because we have to answer questions. And, and these, are, these are dangerous times, aren't they? We start talking about immigration and profiling, stereotypes and hate. We must not give way to fear, but we must not stop loving people. The Bible's very clear about that. No matter what people look like, no matter where people are from, we have to be clear, God has commanded us to love all people in all times. There's a clear balance in this, which leads us then to a whole nother challenge, because it was right in the headlines this week. Racism. And it's all over in our times. I gotta, I gotta preface it that, that I can't even begin to scratch the surface on this one because it's complicated and it's messy. It's filled with so much heat and raw emotion that comes out. But again this week, two black men killed at the hands of police officers. You have dangerous riots and protests. People begin to take sides. There's multiple accounts that start swirling around. Has anyone else noticed the media having a field day? So in the midst of all of this, we have to be so careful because all of this causes more division than unity. It feels at times like we're living in a culture of hate. Why is that? I think in part because you and I begin to operate on our, our preconceived ideas about things. We assume that we know things about others and then we fail to think about the other and then we act on those things. Hate thrives on assumptions and ignorance. Let me give you just an example because this, this plays in race, this plays in gender, this plays in nationality, it, it plays into finances, it plays into social status. And I've told this example before, but I think it's just, it's just, it's just clear. I grew up knowing only Northeast Ohio. That was it, right? I'm a kid from a steel town in Northeast Ohio. And then I went to college in Missouri and got introduced to all these people from the southern part of the United States who talk funny. My initial reaction, because they talk funny, is to think not only are they different from me, but, and, and I'm, I'm not proud to admit this, but that I'm better than them because I talk funny. I'm smarter, they're weird. It's kind of just my natural response. I did not like them until and there, there, I, can, I can remember people in particular. One guy that lived across the hall from me, I had a class with him. Pretty difficult class, just to be honest. And I was pretty sure, poor guy, I don't know how he's gonna make it in here. Until I looked over at his paper and found out that all his grades were better than mine. <laughs> with his funny accent. So then you know what we started to do? We started studying together. And you know what else happened? I kind of started to like this guy. 
we actually became friends. I started talking funny. No, 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 but you know, there's that, there's that process. Here's the deal. If I just kept that separation between us, you know what it bred in me? Because I just assumed I knew things about him. I was ignorant to who he really was, and that ignorance actually put me in a place where I acted ignorantly. Hate thrives on assumptions and ignorance. So what do we do? We must challenge our assumptions. Find out things about people who are different from you. The only way we're gonna break a cycle of hate is to challenge your assumptions. I need to listen to you, and I I don't mean just give you the courtesy. I mean, I, I gotta hear what you're saying and then have a chance for you to hear what I'm saying. Then we can move forward. Then we can challenge those things. We must honor each other. This applies in every area, but I'll tell you right now, in the heat of the, the times that we live in, this is so critical. It's important, and it's tricky. Romans chapter 12, verse nine, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another. I sometimes wish the verse just stopped right there. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 14, 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Do we live in alarming times? Terror, racism, and then hold your breath, election 2016. (laughs) We live in alarming times. Tomorrow night, is the first debate, right? Some of you are excited. Some of you are going into hiding. (laughs) Neither of the candidates that will be debating tomorrow strike me as the poster child for integrity and character. Anybody else? Like I just see this. And here's, I'm having conversations with people, right? And because because here's, I know that that in my role, sometimes people wanna know, what what do you think? You know, who you voting for, what are you doing? So I've been doing a lot of research. I'm, I'm listening to things, I'm reading things. I'm trying to get perspective from, from political sources, spiritual sources, just trying to sort this out. Here's what I've heard. I've heard I can't vote for him. I've heard I can't vote for her. I've heard I won't vote at all. I've heard it's a sin to not vote at all. I've heard I'll vote third party. I've heard I'll write someone in. And here's what I've said, what do I do? Like what's the answer in a setting like this? You ever, you ever been, this has happened to me a few times in my life, where you, where you go out to eat, maybe you go to a restaurant, you sit down, you open the menu, you look at it. I've had this happen a couple of times, you open the menu and you go, I can't read that, I don't know what that language is. Or you, you, you look at it and you see the prices and you say, I did not know those were the prices when I walked in here. The tap water's expensive in this place. Like that, and you look at that. Or maybe you've done this in a restaurant, or maybe even I've had this happen like where you walk in like a food court or something like this, and you start looking around, and you look at the menus, and you walk up and you look at the menu, and you go, I don't want anything here. I don't want to choose any of those things. And so what do you do? You look at the menu, it's too much. You look at the menu, I don't want that. And what do you do? You say, I'm gonna change my mind and go somewhere else. We can't do that with election 2016. Right, we're here. So what's our response in a time like this? Let me, let me tell you who to vote for. Are you ready? <laughs> Here's what you need to do. First, we must do our homework. We have to do our homework. Don't just listen to, what'd you say? You're writing in Chad. It took me a minute to get what you just said. 
I have enough trouble with you people. I don't need the whole country, all right? No thanks. Here's, here's the first thing you gotta do. We must do our homework, all right? Find out, don't just listen to what other people say. Don't just listen to what the media is saying. You've gotta find out what the candidates believe. Tricky sometimes, isn't it? But there's issues of biblical morality. Things like character and abortion and immigration. Scripture speaks to that. There are issues of national security, foreign policy, our military, stances with other nations like Israel. We need to be aware of those things. There are some issues of our future identity. When we talk about issues like racism, when we talk about the Supreme Court, when we talk about religious liberty, these are all things that we've got to do our homework about. Because if you don't, how do you know what's important to you? How do you know what's important to the candidates? And then when you do your homework, we must act upon our conscience. I don't know that it's so clear to just say vote this, vote that, but you have to act upon your conscience. There's no clear answer to this one. You have to determine what is the best response for you. And understand, we've always voted for imperfect candidates, haven't we? We will not have a savior for the next four years in the White House with either one of the two candidates that we'll be debating tomorrow. And we never will. And here's what we must do. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. We must pray. We have to pray. It's our role as the people of God. What Jehoshaphat did in a time of national crisis is to pray. Are we living in alarming times? So what do we do? We need to pray. So what I want to give to you today is three ways to pray alarming prayers in in this uh, Time that we have left. I want to talk to you about three ways to pray alarming prayers. Last week's message, I wanted to inspire you to have faith. This week, I want to inspire you to have action. And what does it mean to pray prayers for alarming times, these alarming prayers? Here's the first one. Number one, I want to challenge you to pray with determination. To pray with determination. Here's what I mean. Too many times, we confine our prayers to these simple things. We, we pray for our meals, or we pray when we're in trouble, or we pray when we go to church, or we pray those little bedtime prayers with our kids. That's not what is pictured here in Second Chronicles chapter 20. When Jehoshaphat prays, it's different. He has this prayer that's determined. And here's what I want you to do. I, I, wanna, I want you to look at what he says here, and then I wanna challenge you in your prayer. How do you pray these determined prayers? Start with this, set your face. Set your face. Look at what we read. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse three. And this is again in the English Standard Version because it captures the Hebrew. It says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He set his face. You know, after services, I always go, and I, and I stand in the Connection Center. It gives me an opportunity to meet people and to, to pray with people and, and that kind of thing. So I stand in the Connection Center. From the Connection Center, you can see the whole atrium. And I'll watch this every so often, that somebody will come walking in. Oftentimes, it's a young man who comes walking in, and he looks, and across the atrium, he sees the young lady he wants to speak with. And you know what he does? You ain't stopping him, because he sees her, and he moves because he sets his face and then he goes and he goes in that direction because he knows exactly what he's looking for. I've actually seen some of you do that in ice cream shops where you walk in and you set your face on that counter. There's nothing stopping you. You are going right there. This is what he's talking about here. This determination that I am going to pray. 
Now let me ask you, I wanna ask you a few questions as we talk about this. Here's, here's the first one, simple question. Ask yourself, will I pray? I know it's simple and it's easy for us to go, yeah, I'll pray. No, I mean really. Not just, let's pray over our dinner or, or let's, uh, let's say that bedtime prayer with our kids. Are you gonna determine in these alarming times to actually pray? How are you gonna do that? Not only should you set your face, I wanna challenge you also to set a time. Set a time when you're going to pray. You can't just say you're gonna do it and then not take some steps to do it, right? You ever done that? Oh, I'll do it, but I'll do it later. I'll, I'll get to it at some point. Usually things that I say I'll get to, I never get to. The reality is I gotta say, when am I going to pray? Here's the question I will ask you. When will I pray? When are you gonna pray? I, I, I'm gonna challenge you to think about that now. When will I pray? Because no goal is ever met without developing a path to it. For me, morning works best. If I can take some time before the day gets going, that's the best time for me. Maybe before you get ready in the morning, maybe it's the last thing you do before you leave the house. For others of you, evening is the best time. Maybe once the busyness of the day is over, that's the best time for you to stop and spend some time with the Lord. Maybe it's, it's just before you go to sleep. For others, your day is, is structured in such a way that, that maybe it's the middle of the day. Maybe it's, it's a nap time or maybe it's a time when things slow down a little bit. You can take that time and you can pray. Ask yourself the question, when will I pray? Chad, get real. I'm busy. I'm struggling to find time to do the things I have to do. When am I gonna find time to do this? Reality is, I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves in these areas, and we feel like we have to carve out like 90 minutes to do this. Look, you don't have to pray long, you just have to pray. Just take the time to do it. And here's, here's what I'll convince you of this. Even if you just go, I got three to five minutes right here, God. <laughs> okay, carve out the time and mean it. Set your face and do it. And you'll find two things. One is this, that those five minutes will be the best five, the most important five minutes of your day. And then it won't be long till those five become seven. And those seven become 10. As you recognize the power of that relationship with God, set your face, set a time, and I would encourage you to set a tone, to set a tone for your prayers. Now I don't mean this to sound emotional or manipulative, but it can be critical in connecting with God for you to find some way that you slow down. I would challenge you maybe to listen to some, some worship music. Find some songs that you can listen to that will help you to be in that place where you're open to hearing what God will speak to you. Music is a powerful tool. And there's so many different places that you can go. If you'll, if you'll follow Calvary Creative, that's our worship art departments uh, on, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or, or wherever you, uh, you follow on social media. Every week they post the songs either that we, we, we sang on that Sunday or that we're gonna sing on the upcoming Sunday. And also we'll tell you where you can go out and find those songs. So whether you go to Apple Music or Spotify or maybe just even YouTube, you can go out and then you can listen to those same songs if you don't know what to listen to. I would encourage you put those headphones on and allow yourself to kind of Get away from those distractions. For some of you, maybe first thing in the morning is when you pray and you're the first one up at your house, forget the headphones. You blast that music throughout the whole house. You will be so blessed and then your family will make sure that you are cursed all in one fell swoop, right? But find a way to set that tone and then do this, set a plan. Set a plan for what you're gonna do when you decide 
that you're gonna pray. I know people, and I've done this, where you go, I am going to pray. And you sit down, you mean business with God, and you sit down and you get about five seconds into it and go, I don't know what to do. I was gonna pray, but I don't, I don't know what to do. One of the best things you can do is start with scripture. So my question for you, if you're gonna set a plan, is what scripture will I read? What scripture are you gonna read it's gonna help you to draw your thoughts in towards the Lord. Now maybe you use some kind of Bible reading plan already. There's an app that's, that's if you just search Bible on, on your app store, wherever it is you go to get apps, it's, from, it's usually the first thing that comes up if you just search Bible, it's just called Bible. It's from life.church. It's where we post all of our notes every week for the sermon, so you can find those on your phone or on your tablet. Um, but it's also a great tool with a lot of Bible reading plans. But start with scripture, and then I'd ask you the question, what am I praying about? What is it that I'm praying about? Because I'll say, well, I'm gonna pray, and then my mind just kinda goes blank. I'm not sure what I'm praying about. I would challenge you to develop some kind of list of things that you're praying for. What's, what's been a really good tool for me in the last year, and you might want to check it out, is an app called Prayer Mate. It's called Prayer Mate. And, and uh, what it does is it allows you to build these lists that you can then pray through. And it's been a really good tool for me that whether it's in a time when I've, I've just got time to sit and, and, and pray and kind of be before the Lord, or maybe I'm just kind of in a few moments that I've got and I want to take some time to pray, this Prayer Mate is a great tool because it lets you take your, kind of your prayer requests and put them in these different lists and then it helps you to just kind of scroll through them. And so I've got different categories. I've got scripture that I pray through. I've got things that I'm praying for my own spiritual growth, my walk with God. I pray for my family. I pray for my friends. I pray for our staff. I pray for our board. I've got, I've got uh, people that I pray for that they will come to know Christ. We pray for missions that way, certain needs. Needs. The nice part about this, this app is then I can, if somebody says, hey, will you pray with me about something, I can put that in there and be reminded to pray. I was talking with my friend Travis the other day. He told me about his shoulder, and I thought, man, I want to pray for his shoulder. He's having some pain there. So I put it in there, and it helps me to remember to pray for him because most things go in one ear and out the other for me. Anybody else? So this is a fun little tool that is helpful. I just want to challenge you. Don't just say you're going to pray, but pray with determination. Here's the second thing, if we're gonna pray these prayers in alarming times, number two is to pray with fasting. To pray with fasting. Look again at what Jehoshaphat said, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse three. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. When we talk about the word fast in this context, it has nothing to do with the speed of your prayers, right? It's a critical component to effective prayer. Some of you have, have, have participated, you've practiced this idea of fasting before, and it's been a real blessing in your life. For some of you, maybe it's something that, that you've tried or maybe you're just kind of disappointed, and for some of you, you've heard about fasting, but you've always been too hungry to try it. And this is a chance for us to talk about this. Here's what fasting means. To fast means that you choose to abstain from something, usually something good, for a season of time in order to devote yourself to increased prayer and devotion to God, often because you have this need or spiritual desire. So in this situation, Jehoshaphat is in a place of crisis. He's got to do something. He knows that his normal bedtime prayers are not gonna cut it. And so he calls a fast to say, look, we have a need we need God to respond in this, so we are going to set something aside 
to show how critically important this is. Here's some things we see in scripture. One is this, that fasting is modeled in scripture. Fasting is modeled in scripture. We see it in scripture. Moses fasted, Jesus fasted, Paul fasted. That's pretty good company, isn't it? Here's what Jesus says to us about fasting. Matthew chapter six, verse 16. He says, when you fast, isn't it interesting? He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. So this is expected at some point in your spiritual life. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Two, two things that are interesting there. One is this. He says that when you fast, there is reward that comes from the Lord. So there's this powerful um, kind of correlative there that happens in those times. The other thing is this. He says that when you fast, don't walk around all droopy. I'm so hungry, bless God. Right? <laughs> it's not like that. Nobody should even really see or know. This is between you and God. It's this powerful principle that's modeled in Scripture, and here's why. Because fasting focuses us. Fasting focuses us. It helps us in our spiritual walk. Joel chapter two, verse 12. In in declaring a fast, we read this. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Fasting focuses us. If you, if you come to my house and you, and you walk through kind of our way to get that, not the, not the front door, but if you go through the garage, just before you walk into our house, right at kind of the front of, of our garage is, is a workbench, Over the workbench is a sign that reads, Dad's Shop. Do you know who Dad is at my house? Me. Do you know who puts their stuff on my workbench? Everybody else. Yeah, and me too. So usually my workbench is is just a mess because it becomes the dropping point. Does anybody else have a dropping point at your house? It's just where everything kind of goes. So every so often, I've just got to go out there and go, i got to clean this stuff up. Because I've used some tools, and then instead of putting them back where they go, I'm in a hurry, so I just set them there. And other people drop their stuff there. And there's things we didn't quite put away yet, but it was easy to just kind of drop them there. So every so often, it's about an hour or so that I'm out there just kind of organizing, putting things back where they go, kind of cleaning stuff up. Often I'm throwing stuff away because that's an important time. I've got to focus that space. That's what fasting does for us spiritually. It allows us to take some time where we go, wow, my life has gotten so cluttered, I've gotta put some things in the right place. I've gotta throw some things away. It's called repentance. Fasting helps me take a good look at myself and see what needs to change in my life. To be organized and prepared for the things that God wants to do in my soul. Fasting focuses us and fasting prepares the way for spiritual breakthrough. Fasting prepares the way for spiritual breakthrough. I can tell you this, I've never sincerely fasted and not sensed the direct intervention of God in my life in some way. It's a powerful spiritual tool for us to experience breakthrough in our lives. That's why I wanna invite you to join us 
we're calling a fast as a church. And we want to give you some time so that you can look out and prepare. October 11th through the 13th, I want to invite you to join us in a time of fasting. In particular, I want, I want to invite you to join us as we fast and pray for our nation because we're living in alarming times. And it's in preparation with the election coming up, with different things that are happening. It's a wonderful time for us and kind of this three-day season. And you may go, Chad, those three days don't work for me. Well, then find some other time in October that you can. Find some other time that you can kind of join us as a church. I would invite you to pray for our nation and to pray for our church. Our church is at kind of a, we just sense as leadership kind of a new season where God is, is allowing us to have an opportunity as we're good stewards with what he's entrusted us to see what is ahead for us in the things that God desires for us to do. So this is a critical time for us to pray for our church, to pray for our nation. I invite you to join us in this fast. So what do you do when you fast? I guess I just encourage you with this, that fasting requires sacrifice. That fasting requires sacrifice. We said earlier that you, that you give something up during a season of fasting. And um, you might say, well, I know what I do. I'm gonna fast spinach and liver for all three of those days. Because I don't even like them. I don't even like them, but Lord, I give them to you. That's not fasting. That's an excuse, right? Now, what do you fast? I'll tell you, one of the most powerful fasts that I ever personally was involved in is, is once I did a seven-day media fast. Screens, TV, entertainment, just pushed it away. And you know what? I saw the world so much clearly as a result of that. This, this particular fast, and this is kind of the, the biblical idea of fasting, is when you push food aside for that season of time. I challenge you to fast in some way during those, those three days, and it is not the spinach fast, amen? What we're talking about is maybe you'll just say, look, I'm gonna, for one of those days or three of those days, I'm just gonna put food aside. I'm going to fast to be able to seek the Lord. There's also what's called a Daniel fast, which is a season of time, and you can, you can search the internet for that. It's basically where you say no meat, no sweets, no, no bread during that season of time. I can see some guys right there going, no meat, no sweets, no, what, what do you eat? What else is there? right? There's green things, but I don't eat that, right? Maybe you need to consult a doctor. Maybe you need to be wise in how you respond, but I challenge you to join us in this because we live in alarming times. Alarming times call for alarming prayers. So we pray with determination. We pray with fasting. And then here's a third thing. In alarming times, we pray with others. Number three, we pray with others. The reason of this series is because of the power of prayer and sometimes it's best not to pray alone. Sometimes you need to just be vulnerable enough to ask someone else to pray with you. There's strength in corporate prayer or in a small group. Here's why, because when we pray with others, it strengthens our faith. When we pray with others, it strengthens our faith. We see this in this story. I I can tell you it was, um, man, almost, almost exactly six years ago that we were in the process of praying and seeking and asking God if he wanted us to relocate from Glendale to Conant Street. We had a board meeting one night and um, some of our staff and our board were together and we said, you know, maybe we were, we were trying to figure out what was the next best step. God, do you really want us to commit to this change? Because it's a pretty big, it was a pretty big deal for us to make that move. And so we hopped in the cars and we came over here uh, to this property, which was just a closed movie theater then at the time, and we stood out these back doors of the church we just kind of gathered around and said, I just feel like we need to pray. 
And we stood there, and uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a man of great faith and courage, right? And I said, guys, why don't, why don't some of you just lead us in prayer? And have you ever heard the sound of crickets? And we just kind of stood there. And I'm like, you man of great faith and courage. <laughs> There's nothing happening. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys began to pray, one of our deacons. And then another one did. And then I felt like a couple of the guys gave almost like a, a, a prophetic word in that moment about the future of what God had for us. And then we began to pray, and as we prayed together, it gave us this opportunity to sense the spirit and the presence of God in a powerful way. I know no other way to describe it other than it literally felt like faith was coming up out of the ground. And it started in the bottom of our feet and filled us as it just kind of went up. There was something powerful about when we prayed with others. When we pray with others, it strengthens our faith. And don't miss this. When we pray with others, we model spiritual maturity. When we pray with others, we model spiritual maturity. So I was talking with a friend not too long ago who's, who's fairly um, new in his faith, growing in his faith, and he was talking about prayer. And he told me, you know, one of the ways that I've really learned how to pray was listening to these other people pray. Because as they prayed together, then my friend was learning how to pray. It helped him to break through some of those. And, and I know for some of us, it's hard for us to pray in those things. It helps you to break through those different things. There's this fascinating thing about this story with Jehoshaphat, right? We're, we're, in, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, three bully nations coming against the nation that Jehoshaphat is the king of. He has to do something. He could run. He could call for in power. He could, he could just be fearful. Instead, he stands up and he prays a prayer. If you remember, we looked at it several weeks ago, that ends with this. Lord, there's a great army coming against us. They're bigger and badder than we are. We, that's, that's the Chad Gilligan version. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Powerful prayer, isn't it? My grandma used to have a saying, she would say, you know, you've ever heard the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? My grandma used to say, well, you don't lick that off the grass. <laughs> I don't know what it means. But Jehoshaphat did not lick that off the grass. Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11. This is his father, Asa who is a time of national crisis, just like Jehoshaphat is in a generation before. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, oh, it's a family trait. In times of trouble, what do we do? We call to the Lord our God and said, Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. Sounds an awful lot like we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, doesn't it? Jehoshaphat did not lick this off the grass. The pattern of the parent influences the character of the child. And so parents, I would encourage you, no matter what the age of your children, do they see you pray? Do they sense the value that it has in your life? Two other things, real quick. When we pray with others, we build unity. When we pray with others, we build unity. It's a powerful, powerful thing. It's a vulnerable, vulnerable thing. But when you do that, something powerful happens. 
It puts you on the same page. It breaks down barriers. It makes you on the same team when you pray with someone else. If you're having struggles in a relationship, and spouses, if you're having struggles in a relationship, pray together. Pray for each other. Pray with each other. Hear yourself pray for that person. Hear that person pray for you. Because when we pray with others, it builds unity. It's worth the risk and the vulnerability for when you open up yourself and what the Spirit will do. One last thing, when we pray with others, there is power. When we pray with others, there's power. There's this neat story in Acts chapter 12 where Peter's in prison and um, the the Lord miraculously releases him. He escapes from prison. It's so miraculous that he's actually walking down the street before he realizes what actually happened there. Out of prison. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. It's significant. They were praying. Man, I can think of times in my life when people prayed for me and the church prayed for me. My family prayed for me. My friends prayed for me. I can remember one time being in a, in a connect group, going through a tough time. People gathering around and praying for me. I can tell you that that moment was a breakthrough in my life. There's power when we pray together. So here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I told you that my hope today was to inspire you to action. So are you determined to pray? Like, are you really going to pray? Just, just take a moment right where you're at. Think through this week. Maybe kind of zone in on Monday a little bit. When are you going to pray? What's your plan? And I don't ask that with... Um, guilt I don't ask that with kind of a a vindictive or condemning spirit I ask it because I know that prayer is powerful and effective so when you're going to pray what's your plan I ask will you join me in this fast take a look at those dates maybe it's just one day that'll work maybe it's all three maybe it's another time in October but will you join us Determine in your heart that you will pray in these alarming times. And let me ask you to do this. Would you stand with me, please? Kind of right where you are. Just, we'll all stand. And just like, just like Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah did, I think it's right for us to pray together. I, I'm going I'm to lead you just like Jehoshaphat did. I'm going to invite you to pray just like the people of Judah did. And to pray as we seek the Lord for our nation in these alarming times. Will you join me? Father, we come to you today. Lord, we're your people. Father, in this moment, we we determine, we set our face to you. Lord, we pray for our leadership. Lord, we pray today for our president. We pray for our Congress. We pray for the Supreme Court. We pray for our governor. We pray for those in, in federal and state and local levels. Lord, we ask that you would bless them. God, that you would allow them to 
to see and sense your presence in their lives? Would you send people their way who would lead and and direct them to truths about you? Lord, we pray not just for our president now, but we pray for who will be our president. Lord, in times that are uncertain, when we don't know what to do, we pray that our eyes are on you. Lord, we lift up to you those in so many different areas of influence, in our military and in entertainment and in education. Father, so many places in our culture that have have put up barriers to to seem to, to almost keep you out. Lord, we pray that you would make yourself real in our times. Lord, in the time of terror, racism, Lord, in the midst of this election season, we're reminded of your word that says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Lord, we have to turn from our wicked ways. As your people, we confess and repent that it has not been in God that we have trusted. But we've looked to people and we've looked to money and we've looked to pleasure. And Lord, we, we look to you today and ask that you would heal our land. Lord, we pray for an awakening. Father, we pray for a, a spirit of revival to come to our nation. Lord, we pray that you'd allow it to come in our community. Lord, we don't ask for a revival of emotion or hype. Lord, we pray for the kind of revival that changes people's lives, that causes people to ask what happened to them. Lord, would you send an awakening, we pray. And Lord, in the midst of these times, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Calvary, we've, we've seen in God's word today that there's power when we pray with other people. And so I, I'm not going to ask you to do anything invasive or weird or anything like that. I, I would just say this. For some of you, you came in here with a burden or a challenge or a trial. Back when I was a little kid in Sunday school, we called them a prayer request. Do you remember that? And if you'd say, man, I would love if somebody would just pray for me today. Then in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And the people around you are going to do nothing more than just kind of place a hand on your shoulder. You don't have, it's not show and tell. It's just pray for me, please. And if you'd say, boy, I sure would like somebody to pray for me today. Would you lift your hand? Just lift your hand and go ahead and lift it for just a moment so people can see. If you see somebody around you with the hand lifted, would you mind just putting a a hand on their shoulder? That's all you got to do. Just put a hand on their shoulder. We're going to pray for one another today. Father, your word says there's power when we pray with each other. So, Lord, whether it be here in Auditorium 1, whether it be in Auditorium 2, Lord, even maybe if there's somebody that's just watching this on a screen somewhere and has their hand lifted all by themselves, Lord, let them know that we're praying for them in this moment, even outside of time, we're praying for them right now. And Lord, I ask that in Jesus' name, you would move 
God, we know that your word says that things happen when we pray. And so, Lord, we ask that you would answer these prayers, that you would bring strength and that you would bring life, that you'd bring provision and that you would bring hope. God, you know all the ways and all the places and all the things that are represented by these raised hands today. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. When we are afraid, we trust in you. And we know that your word says that the prayer of righteous people is powerful and effective. And so here in your presence, we pray together today. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.